This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. I was in the fifth grade, and my name got called one afternoon to, to step outside the classroom, and I walked out with a couple of my friends, and standing there waiting for us outside the classroom in kind of this outdoor corridor walkway area was the art teacher, Ms. Fauché. And she proceeded to explain to the four or five of us that were standing there that she had a special project for us, that the library was going to be doing this art display of famous book covers, and she wanted each one of us to get to draw one of these book covers. And that she'd hand-selected us because of our artistic abilities and talents that we'd showcased in her classroom before. And I remember standing there thinking, she's got the wrong Katie Prejean, because I am not a drawer. I am not an artist. This is not, you, you have the wrong person. I didn't speak up. I didn't say anything. Obviously, she knew who I was. I had distinct red frizzy hair. I mean, it was kind of hard to miss me. So I took on this little assignment that she gave us. I remember being assigned where the wild things are was my book cover. And going home with a copy of the book from the library and the, the sheet of paper that she wanted us to draw it on, like this nice, thick, cardstock, legal-sized sheet of paper, and sitting down and, and proceeding to sit at the dining room table for easily six hours trying to get it perfect. And when I turned it in, later on that week, and gave it to her, I still remember her face. And it, it wasn't like relief, like, oh, thank God she turned it in on time. It was more kind of a, oh, yeah, maybe I did get the wrong Katie Prejean out here. Because I'm not an artist. I'm not a drawer. That's not my skill. That's not my gift. Even today, if Rose asks me to draw something, my range consists of boat, stick person, house, and maybe a dog, maybe. And she's two and a half, and even she knows, just ask daddy to draw it, because that's just not my gift. And I think for a really long time, that's kind of how I bottlenecked artists. Artists can draw. Obviously, of course, artists do much more than just draw pictures on paper for art teachers in fifth grade. But I think for a little while, I had this mental hang-up that well, there's no way I'm an artist, there's no way I'm a creative, because I was unable to accomplish that assignment in the fifth grade, slash I know that that's not a skill I have. And today's conversation with Christine Paintner highlights for us that artistry and being an artist and having the artist's heart is far more than just having a skill where you can draw or create something that's, that's valuable enough to say be sold on Etsy, but is instead a disposition and an attitude and it's one that we should really pay attention to, especially perhaps now at this very strange moment we find ourselves in April of 2020 when most of the world is, is still in quarantine. This conversation today was one that I loved having. Christine is an author, she's a speaker, she's the abbess of Abbey of the Arts, which is this really cool thing that's hard to describe, that's linked down in the show notes and you definitely need to check out. Christine's insights today about the draw of artistry on all of us and the desire to create within all of us is something that should be both honored and paid attention to. And I think you'll really, really appreciate this conversation. So without further ado, a chat with Christine Paintner. Christine, thanks so much for joining us on the Ave Explorers podcast. 
Mm, it's wonderful to be with you. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you are, what you do, the way I'd normally phrase it with folks is if, if we were to be on an elevator and the elevator got stuck and we had 10 minutes together, what would I learn in that time about who you are and what you're doing in the world? <laughs> well, I am living in the west of Ireland in Galway City with my husband. Uh, we've been married 25 years. We've been in Ireland for seven years, about Eight years ago, we sort of had a call to a midlife adventure. I, I happened to have Austrian citizenship through my father, and we moved to Vienna first and sort of went on this whole pilgrimage, and we ended up in the west of Ireland where we lead pilgrimages and retreats, writing retreats here, Scotland, Germany, Austria, but we also have a virtual monastery. So we lead uh, online retreats. And of course I write lots of books, <laughs> mostly for Ave Marie Press, uh, write poetry. Um, we produce albums of songs that accompany the books. We work with artists to commission art to go with some of our resources. Uh, so it's really a, a kind of a vibrant ministry of cultivating contemplative practice and creative expression and helping people see the intersection. And, uh, and also my book that's coming out this spring, Earth, Our Original Monastery. It's, um, so it's contemplation and art, but in sort of woven into that is also very much a, a, a kinship with creation and how nature inspires and unfolds and sustains us. So where, where did this come from? Like you, midlife adventure, you said, like, was this, you woke up one morning and decided we want to move to Europe or, or was there <laughs> a stirring in the heart for a while? Where, where did that come from? Yeah, there are a couple of things that were happening. We, um, my husband and I had started going on what I call ancestral pilgrimages together. He was a high school teacher and I was working for myself. So my schedule was flexible. So we spend summers in Europe. He's got mostly Irish, German blood. I've got um, mostly English and um, Latvia, Austria, Czech Republic kind of blood. And we started visiting some of these countries as um, part of this kind of journey of ancestral healing. That's a, a big part of my um, own spiritual practice as well and then we started to go at Christmas as well <laughs> and we started to notice just a longing and a real love of the culture in Europe I mean Europe as a general as a whole is certainly a diversity of cultures but there's a lot that makes it different on the states mm -hmm. and then my husband had been teaching high school for 12 years working with um, 15 year old boys every day and he was just ready for a, a break a change it actually had more to do with the administration than mm -hmm. than the students uh, and um, he basically came home from work one day and had been told that the, the bishops were instituting a uniform curriculum for all of the Catholic high schools. And the subject matter he was teaching, Hebrew scriptures, was he loved, absolutely loved. And it was going to be almost entirely removed from the curriculum. So it was just sort of that moment where we thought, well, this is... <laughs> this is an opportunity and I had just recently gotten the passport the Austrian passport and it was sort of one of those things where there's a whole series of synchronicities our home sold within a few days and you know everything sort of felt like it was carrying us forward and yeah so we went on this adventure and yeah <laughs> and, and it's I mean it's been fruitful your website Abbey of the Arts and and, and truly how contemplation and contemplative thought and living and practice can be done whether I'm in Lake Charles, Louisiana, or in the, you said the west of Ireland, um, yeah. 
or, you know, yeah. a hustling, bustling city. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I suppose the other thing I should mention that I didn't about me is that I'm a Benedictine oblate as well. Mm-hmm. So my, my own practice is very much rooted in that uh, monasticism and the contemplative way. And I also have a love of the desert and the Celtic uh, monastic traditions. So yeah. those three sort of form the core of a lot of our teachings, along with some Jungian psychology ideas and archetypes and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, the idea being that one of our core programs is called Monk in the World. So this idea that we are all called to be monks. We all have an inner monk. And in the book, The Artist's Rule, I talk, a lot, I talk a lot about archetypes and particularly the archetype of the monk and the artist and that we both have those parts of ourselves. An archetype is just sort of an energy that we each contain. And some of us identify more with some archetypes than others. Uh, but we're all invited to claim our inner monk and artist if we if we feel so inspired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit, this inner art that exists. You know, much of this series, we've talked about the way of beauty. We've talked about, um, you know, objectively beautiful art that we have within the history of the church. But, you know, for the person who's listening who has never picked up a paintbrush or has never written a poem or who can't sing worth a lick unless they've drank too much at karaoke. Like what, what can we identify within ourselves that really shows that, that artist's soul that's there for everyone? How can we, for lack of a better way, activate that and, and cultivate that within our lives? Well, I think it's unfortunate that a lot of us were somehow taught early on, you know, that, to be an artist means, you know, you have to be really good at it, whatever that means. You have to professionalize it. We live in such a consumerist society that, you know, basically anything that we do has to sort of fulfill some sort of, you know, product-oriented drive. So a lot of uh, the way that I focus on the arts and the work, I'm trained in um, what's known as expressive arts therapy. So that's, I have training in theology and a PhD in Christian spirituality, but I also have this training in this expressive arts field. And the thing that really drew me to expressive arts was it gave me this beautiful language (laughs) for what I'd already been experiencing. And the two core principles of expressive arts are, uh, one is process over product. So this idea that we can engage in art making and creativity for the pure pleasure and joy and expression and exploration of it. And that is the birthright that every one of us has. Uh, And we can, um, and also the other principle is uh, sort of the the intermodality of arts, meaning that uh, engaging in say, painting a picture and then writing a poem from it and then dancing from it, that actually that using those different sort of aesthetic languages uh, might deepen our experience of whatever it is we're exploring. So I had already for years been leading art retreats. I or my early on, I worked at a Catholic high school in Sacramento, California. I was campus minister and um, would integrate art into retreats and found it to be a really powerful way to access the divine, particularly if we're thinking, you know, if we wanted to expand our idea of God, God doesn't just speak to us through through kind of verbal linear language, right? Mm-hmm. That God speaks to us, you know, the scriptures tell us that God speaks to us through the dream world, through nature and creation, but also through, you know, all these music, you know, so many of us probably have a real um, heart uh, connection to certain kinds of music that 
bring us to this sort of sense of transcendence. So, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating what you're saying, especially with high school students. I, I was a freshman theology teacher for five years, and we'd always do this activity where I'd bring in these little pieces of fabric, and they'd get to, they had to draw a prayer, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be fascinating, because you'd see some students, oh, I can't draw, all the way to the, the student who excelled in art class. And um, mm-hmm. in that traditionalist, oh, you're good at this kind of way, but then watching the students become more engaged and giving them permission to it, it doesn't have to be good enough to sell on Etsy. It just has to be good enough for you to be able to express yourself and to express your your deepest prayer. And I I think people need to be given permission to do that in some sense, because we have been told by the world, a very corporate capitalistic world, that that it has to look or has to be something that somebody else would want to enjoy, as opposed to nobody would buy my two-year-old's art, but I think it's beautiful and hang it up on the wall because it's an expression of what she's created. your artist's rule book, The Artist's Rule, is a 12-week journey. Does it help people deepen that that sense, whether they are the traditional artist or just beginning to awaken that within themselves? Yeah, we've had definitely people on the whole spectrum in terms of people who are, we've actually had people come to, you know, workshops we've done who have, you know, say they don't have a creative bone in their body, but clearly there's a longing and, mm-hmm. and the work that we do helps break that open to people who are quote unquote professionals in the arts, but have sort of cut themselves off from um, art as play or being willing to get messy and make mistakes. And the book is, uh, those 12 weeks are really designed around different monastic principles and practices that I think can be really helpful. So in, in light of what we were just talking about, humility, which I think is um, a value that's not really cultivated in our modern culture. But when we think about, you know, what does it mean to give ourselves permission exactly to do something that's quote unquote bad art, whatever that means? Like, can we just move into the experience? It's very much like prayer. Can we just move into it as an experience of connection, of expression, of, you know, communion, of encounter, and just allow that to have its space just for the sheer joy of that or the sheer, you know, um, sense of comfort that that might bring or whatever that is. And so to really give ourselves, yeah, that, that permission is really a big part of it to sort of get people over that. Yeah. I think we've seen this in in culture, some like with adult coloring books, you know, that they, yeah, very soothing to color. Um, or when, you know, in art therapy, um, we have a, a PhD priest in our diocese who does art therapy, especially with, with folks who have experienced trauma. And he mm-hmm. talks all the time about how healing it can be for people. Um, let's, let's shift for a moment and talk about our faith in light of art. Um, because much of this series, we're, we're really focusing our attention on how art can draw us into an understanding of the divine, whether it's my own art that I've created to help me pray or to help me talk to God, um, or art that I'm watching or I'm seeing or, or I step into a church and I'm, I'm in the midst of. Um, how can we, and I think you're the perfect person to answer this, how can we pray with art? Whether that's music, paintings, sculptures, physical buildings, what, how, how can I pray with art? I think for me, a lot of it has to do with, uh, I'm going to actually um, just explore a little a concept that actually comes out of the Celtic monastic tradition that I think for me, expresses um, kind of the heart of this. It's called peregrinatio, and it's a form of pilgrimage where the monks would step into a boat without any rudder or oar, and so no mechanism of steering or guiding the vessel. 
and they would let the currents carry them to what they called the place of their resurrection, which was the place that they would settle for the rest of their lives and set up their communities and be of service. And I think it's, I love this idea and this concept, not, not in a literal fashion. I always joke that people shouldn't try this at home <laughs> uh, on a literal level, but um, I think for me, that's the heart of this, the creative process and creative process as prayer. So if we think of ourselves as stepping into this boat without the steering mechanisms, so without the planning, without the goal orientation, without all of that, um, you know, can we enter into prayer without an agenda for what we want God to respond with or provide? And allow the divine current, the winds and the waves to carry us to this place of resurrection, which for me means you know, can I just tend to how God is praying already in me and allow that through? And that translates for me into art as um, letting that process unfold organically without, again, noticing those times when I'm trying to steer the process or the judgment comes in where I'm like, oh, this is terrible or crap or whatever. <sighs> Taking a nice deep breath and just returning and saying, okay, God, how do you how do you want to guide me in this process and what do I discover? Mm -hmm. I think the other piece of that too is art really helps us to encounter the God of mystery, which for me is sort of the ultimate encounter is to expand beyond our own concepts of who God is and how God works in the world and to allow ourselves to be carried into that place of kind of into the unknowing of God, you know, for some of the, some of the mystics who talk about kind of that path of the unknowing, uh, I think can expand our hearts. And art has a way of not carrying us to answers, but maybe more deeply into questions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, it gives us an opportunity to be surprised. Yes. Um, by, you know, I think I know what God wants to tell me, but I'm going to actually be quiet and, and listen to what he has to tell me. Yeah, that's exactly it. One of the practices in the book is uh, conversion, which is one of the Benedictine uh, vows that they make. And for me, conversion is very much about acknowledging that we're always on a journey and allowing ourselves to be surprised by God. You know, to think that we've already got it all figured out is a kind of cynicism and doesn't serve us. You know, it doesn't allow that divine um, grace to enter in. There's a passage from scripture from Isaiah that says, you know, now I'm revealing new things to you, things hidden and unknown to you that you didn't know until this very moment. And it's one of my favorite passages in scripture, particularly in connection to the creative process, because it's like that, so when we enter in and we think we know it's going to happen, we shut it all down. If we enter in and we try and as much as we can yield and surrender to the, the divine flow that's already within us, the new thing will be <laughs> revealed you know, yeah. inevitably. I'm thinking of, um, so two years ago, I was in Rome right around this time for the pre-synod gathering and studied in Rome in 2008, had brought a student group in 2013. So this was not my first visit, walked into St. Peter's and was determined to go pray at my favorite spot, which of course was closed for a variety of different reasons, one of those little side chapels. And I was so disappointed because I, I had built up in my head that, well, that's where I'm going to go. And I'm going to look at the things that I always want to look at and that I know will bring me comfort. And instead found mm -hmm. myself in another chapel looking at another image that just 
profoundly moved me. And I probably never would have even walked over there had certain circumstances not been there. And then had God not kind of knocked me upside the head and said, no, no, I want you to look at this. And I only had about 15, 20 minutes. So it really truly was a little gift of a moment. What are some gifted moments that have been given to you since this midlife adventure, since going to Europe and living in Ireland and, and, and really doing this work for people? Yeah. Well, uh, a lot of our work also focuses on pilgrimage because we do lead people in pilgrimage both online and uh, in person. And I talk about uh, a pilgrim is someone who courts holy disruption, Mm -hmm. meaning that we don't go on pilgrimage to have a prepackaged, laid out experience. That's, That's what a tourist does, is expects everything to go to plan, to have all the foods they're used to eating and, you know, everything to be exactly as they expect to come with the heart of a pilgrim when you travel means that you're open to um, letting the strangeness of the place you're in and the language and the culture and the customs break open something new in you. And so for us, you know, there are a couple of different levels of this. Uh, One was, you know, we, I'd mentioned that we first moved to Vienna, Austria, which is, you know, where my father was from and where he's buried. And it's a place that I love dearly. But the immigration process was impossible for my husband to get through. And after six months, we were basically told we'd have to leave the country and wait for them still to decide. And uh, it was really hard, even though Ireland was already on the horizon and, you know, we felt excited about it, but there was grief for me there and uh, letting that go. And and, um, to say that Ireland has been an incredible gift, certainly wasn't in the wasn't the plan A, so to speak, uh, such a gift for the work that we do and the people that we meet. And then just, just living in Ireland itself, just on kind of smaller doses, you know, we live in a culture now where people speak English. Uh, they also speak Irish a lot in where we live, but they speak in the English language, but it's very different than mm-hmm. American English. And the sayings, and, you know, all of those things, the, even just the words for things, like you call Band-Aids plasters and, you know, you call what you, we would call French fries or chips in the States or, you know, call, well, actually what we call French fries, they call chips. What we would yeah. call chips, they call crisps. Anyway, all of that stuff is sort of, you know, it's, it can be disorienting because you go into a shop and you ask for something and you feel kind of foolish, but that's actually part of the journey of the pilgrim is to feel our defenses being sort of broken down because in that process, we might discover something a bit bigger. We might get in touch with all the habits and patterns that constrict us and open us up to something new. I love that, that pilgrims, we don't go in prepackaged, but it's it's very Mm -hmm. much a journey and and you make decisions on the journey. You go left or right on the journey. you, you encounter people on the way that might yes. change your mind or might, might say something that totally brings new perspective. Um, yeah. On your journey as artist, as writer, as, as, as monk in the world, um, what, what's a piece of art you know, in any category that has, has deeply moved you, has led you to conversion, um, that we can go look up, that we can share with people who are listening? What, what's, what's the art that speaks to you? Mm. I'd say for me... Poetry is probably the primary one, although, I, I mean, yeah, it'd be hard for me to, to pick something. Yeah. I can think of lots of songs and lots of art. Uh, and I'm just, I just was leading um, an online session. We're doing a little online novena right now uh, with our community, and we were talking about compassion. And uh, so I'll just mention the poem that I read there. It's called Kindness 
by Naomi Shihab Nye, and she's a Palestinian poet, and she's one of my favorite poets. I think for me, poetry, lines of poetry have stayed in my heart and given me solace and new direction. Um, actually, I'll mention another poet, David White, what to remember when waking. He has a line in there, what we can plan is too small for us to live. And years and years ago, when I finished graduate school and I was planning to be in an academic career and I spent some time doing that, uh, realizing I was not happy <laughs> being in that kind of institutional setting. Uh, and so I kind of joke that I'm a recovering planner. Uh, but, and Naomi Shehab's nice poem is all about how to experience kindness. We also have to be in touch with sorrow and suffering, which of course right now globally is very much on everybody's hearts. And so it's a beautiful poem that invites us into the heart of compassion mm. so I'd recommend those two there's lots of lots of poems I could mention but yeah. those two right now are for sure yeah we'll put those down in the in the show notes for folks to link to tell us where we can find out more about your work about um, how to get involved with with the work that you and your husband are doing especially online mm-hmm. well our website is abbeyofthearts.com and we have uh, well, we have a newsletter that you can choose daily, weekly, or monthly uh, settings, whatever you need for nourishment. We have some free um, online programs as well as some retreats that, uh, that do have a fee, but we also have scholarships for those. We have an online um, Facebook community group. We have an Abbey the Arts Facebook page, but we also have a group called The Holy Disorder of Dancing Monks. Oh, <laughs> So we realized a while ago that we weren't a very orderly bunch, so, <laughs> so we thought disorder was, uh, was a, a lovely way to... Um, invite people into that place of like getting out of the planning mode. Uh, So those are, you know, Facebook is probably the place that we most connect as well as the newsletter, as well as the the website. So Excellent. Well, we'll put those all down in the show notes. Thank you so much for taking the time, especially in the midst of what's going on in the world. Um, And uh, I think, I think people will greatly benefit from hearing your thoughts, your words and, uh, and getting your wisdom online for sure. Thank you, Katie. Appreciate it. We get to create. Creating is a gift. Creating is an opportunity. And what a beautiful one that we have and that we've been given. And and let's not waste it. I think you should check out the things that Christine has both written and that she provides on her online forum, um, Abbey of the Arts. I really think you'd appreciate it, as well as all of the other content that we have created for this Ave Explores series on art and architecture. You can find all of that over at AveMariaPress.com. You can sign up to receive the emails, or you can just go and look at all the backlog content, both what we have for the art and architecture series, as well as our mental health series and our series on Our Lady. We hope that you greatly enjoyed not only listening to this, but that you find great value in the articles that are there. This past week, we had a great article from Duncan Stroika, a Notre Dame architecture professor, from Deacon Andy Derwin, a dear family friend of mine who wrote about his time in Rome as a seminarian. We have incredible interviews from our podcast with Liz Lev, Mike Aquilina, Andrew Pettiprin. You'll find all sorts of things over at the Ave Maria Press website, so we hope you check it out. The link is down in the show notes. Thanks for listening today. As always, we'd be grateful for a rating and a review. We hope you enjoy, and we'll see you next time.